my overwhelming mindset was my, my I guess my default setting was always just just continue to push just just lean into it and push and don't at no second give up um, because at the end a race is just a collection of moments a collection of time a collection of seconds and you want you want to win every second every little battle that you have with yourself and at, at the end of the race whether it's a sprint distance Olympic distance half or even an Ironman it's it's a collection of moments that hopefully you've got the best out of yourself. Aloha and welcome to another episode of the Chris Lieto podcast. This week we have Craig Alexander, uh, also known as Crowey, who is a three-time Ironman world champion and a two-time Ironman 70.3 world champion. Craig and I both raced against each other for many years and a few of those years were challenges where we pushed each other to the brink, literally. So we're gonna talk a little bit about some of those stories, but talk more in depth about what his mindset was like, how he approached uh, races, and also just really some of his challenges that he had through his career, some of his, as far as difficulties that he had to overcome. So this is a great episode. I'm super excited to be able to bring this to you, and I was really excited to have him come and be a part of this show. So thank you, Crowey. Look forward to this episode. And before we get in depth, Definitely want to always thank our presenting sponsor, Adaday. Adaday uh, has a brand new BioZoom gun that literally is coming out right now. If you want it, you need to go to their website, adaday.com. Check it out, get your order in, and use coupon code CHRIS20 to get a 20% discount. So go check them out. Also, Chorus Watches. It's a great watch that I've used for the last few months, uh, the brand new Adventure Watch Vertex. Uh, you'll see it in this episode, me wearing it. You can check it out on my YouTube channel if you want to watch the episode. But you can go to the link in the show notes to find out more about their watches and also a discount code that you can use to get some free accessories. So check them out as well. And as always, enjoy this episode. Hope you get a lot out of it. And I hope you can take some of the things that you learned and apply it to your life and see some change in the short term as well as the long term. Thank you very much, and with no further ado, let's get into this episode with Craig Alexander. Craig has also challenged me a lot, of course, in racing, but has really brought the most out of me, I think, learning to dig a little bit deeper to, as far as look into perspective of what drives me in racing, what pushes me through, and how to really get the most out of my racing through those experiences in racing with you. So I'm excited to have these discussions with you just to chat a little bit about what drives you and and <clears throat> makes you go to the end where you don't give up until the job's done. Yeah, well, we, we have some good history. I mean, you were kind enough to gift me a couple of world titles there, so I thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we, we, had some, we had some great races, uh, one in Honu at the 70.3 and also one in Boise that came right down to the wire. So I think really great rivals – uh, whilst it's interest, interesting, I guess, for everybody else um, to watch a great race unfold, I think when you have a, a rivalry with someone over a period of time, they do bring the best out of you. You have to not reinvent yourself, but come up with ways to improve. And um, I think you become a reflection of your rivals. You know, I, I was always comfortable racing people who had a similar MO to me, which was swim close to the front bike with the front group and, and then, you know, try and win the race in the run. But, you know, as they say in boxing, matchups make fights or styles make fights. And um, 
you know, your style was a little different. I, I had trouble racing guys like yourself and, and also Craig Walton, who were exceptional bike riders. And, and really, it sort of upset the apple cart, I guess, if you will, and, and made it, I think it, those kind of rivalries make you re-examine the way you do things and, and definitely ultimately make you a better athlete as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely as far as can, can acknowledge that in that for years, for me, I looked at what races you were doing and chose my races based upon where you were going to be and to line myself up. So for me, my goal during that time of my career was to win the Ironman World Championships. Like that was the only goal that I had. Of course, I wanted to win, you know, half Ironmans and Ironmans that I was racing, but it was every year was in the preparation and the focus and the drive to win Kona and to, to win the big show. And to do that, I knew that I had to beat you or Mac at the time. And you were one that I believed was more at the top. And so I had to really choose those races to try to figure out, to challenge myself, to push myself and to see what could I do to potentially break you or to find out what I can learn and, and improve upon my things, improve upon the areas of weaknesses that I had to um, move those up. So as you mentioned, we had some some pretty intense races and some pretty close ones just leading up to the world championships as well. Yeah. Well, I remember the, that little period in 09 where our son Austin had just been born and we flew to Hawaii to race the 70.3 there in June. He was about, I think eight weeks old and you had a big lead off the bike and I was able to track you down within the last mile. And, and then six days later we raced again in Boise completely opposite conditions. It was pouring rain, very cold. And, and that day you only had like a 90 second or a two minute lead on me off the bike. And I thought, Oh, I've got this in the bag. I mean, last week I'd run seven minutes out of you and I literally caught you that day with the last step of the race. So um, I think we were very evenly matched and it was, it was confusing to me as well at times how we would match up against each other because some of these races, um, obviously you were known as the Uber biker of our generation, and, but you could, you could swim and run. And I was probably known for my running, closing out the races. Although I prided myself on trying to be consistent across all three disciplines um, and, and never being too far from the front. But there are always a couple of guys like yourself who are up the road. But yeah, those, those two races for me, I remember just, I remember thinking after Boise, there was just, there was no real pattern to our races. Um, because I think you had the second quickest run of the day in Boise that day. Um, and yeah, that certainly gave me a lot to think about in, in the next few months leading up to October. Yeah. And it's funny, like, I don't want to, I don't want to make this podcast about stories about us and, you know, looking back and just kind of saying, oh, well, you know, this story or that story or this race, but I, I want to make sure that we tap into those because I think it's important mm. because I want to, I want to get an understanding of, for example, those, two races, for example, um, in the process and your thought process. So I want to dive down a little bit into that to go, okay, at, at Honu, to that, at that race, I had a six-minute lead, let's say, and then you ran me down with a mile to go. That run course is a challenging course for me. Mm. It doesn't fit my style because it's, one, it's soft grass. Two, it's really hot and humid. Um, yeah. It takes shorter strides or faster turnover, I guess I would say but it's constantly like steep uphills, downhills, right yeah. hand, left hand turns. It's hard to find rhythm. 
and the training that I was doing was trying to find as much tempo rhythm as I could in my half Ironman and Ironman pacing. So I trained myself to be efficient at, I think at the time it was like 525 to 535 pace for me felt like a good groove. And in Boise, I was able to nail it every time, like every mile I was ticking it off because that race was straight long straightaways, straight yeah. out, one turn straight back, then one more turn back into the finish. But when you're, when you get off the bike and you have six minutes, you know what my past run times were like, you knew that I was potentially within range to catch. What is, what was your thought process either in the beginning or the middle of the bike when you hear splits, like walk me through a little bit of the first one being at Honu and then we'll talk a little bit about Boise as well. Yeah. Well, my, my thought process was usually always the same. I mean, like you say, different courses and different athletes challenge you differently. So I think you need to understand first and foremost, the things that you as an athlete do um, well to get, to get a great outcome. Like what are your strengths and weaknesses? And, and also within that, what are the things that you can change up? Like, like you mentioned, they are two different run courses. Um, Honu is is on the golf cart path for a lot of it. So it's a lot of windy sections, very steep uphills, very steep downhills. So for me, knowing that and, and coming into that section, I was thinking, well, I need to maximise, you know, my cadence here and, and those little, I guess, technical aspects to get as much time as I could. So I was always thinking whatever the course and whatever the situation, what are the things that I, you know, what are the strings I have to my bow that I can use right now? Um, and, you know, slightly different, I guess, technical aspects to the run course in, in Boise, as you mentioned. But, I mean, it was always the same thought process for me. I mean, I think ultimately we had all raced each other, all of us, um, over a 10-year period so often that we, we knew each other's strengths and weaknesses. And um, But I think our sport, it ultimately comes back to, you know, your own self as an individual and as a person and as an athlete and getting the most out of yourself. So I always used to be, you know, you hear that old saying, stay in your own lane. I used to just try and stay in my own lane in the race. You know, I learned with experience not to worry about things that I couldn't control. And I certainly couldn't control your biking ability. So, you know, you would, you would take off and I would check my little cues and make sure I was in my sweet spot and where I needed to be. And, you know, that day I remember coming down from Harvey and we were averaging 45, 46 kilometers an hour and, and you were averaging well over 50. And it was, it was a pretty windy day, uh, a lot of crosswinds that day. And I, my power was where it needed to be. And I was, I was with the guys I was normally with. So I don't think you can waste energy worrying about something that's out of your control as much as it might not be your, perfect scenario that's unfolding if, if you're managing the things that you can manage and you're managing them well you know you're in your lane you're in your sweet spot so I always tried not to panic and again I think it's just a good lesson in knowing your competitors and I think you know we all had a respect for each other's abilities but ultimately you, you stay in your own lane and manage the things that you can you can manage well and, and ultimately that'll lead you to where you need to go yeah and so when you're when you're in the race do you, you rely on the training that you put in, of course, right? You put in the months and months of training. You know what your body feels like at certain efforts. You know where your zones are. You have experience in all that. But when you're out there biking or you're running each split or each mile or each as far as kilometer, 
are you going through a checklist in your mind? Are you looking at like, okay, here's my split. This is right where I want to be. Here's my heart rate. Like what measurements and checklists would you, would you gravitate to and use? I used for, for a large part of my career, just what we call RPE rate of perceived exertion. Um, yeah. I learned to be very intuitive with my body. I, I understood what threshold felt like for the different distances I was racing or my threshold pace or your, your steady state or all day pace. Um, obviously that changes depending on what distance you're racing. When I stepped up to Ironman distance in 07, I, I got a power meter on my bike and that was, that was a big help. Um, I, I think just being able to use the different numbers that you were getting, particularly cadence and how that affects power and, and those sorts of things and heart rate. And so I got in tune with that, but also with experience, you learn that whether you're, you're swimming in the pool or you're on the road doing efforts or on the trainer or, or you're running on the track, maybe on the treadmill. Sometimes, you know, let, let's, let's say we're in the pool, for instance, and, you, and you're doing 200s and, you, and you're swimming, whatever you may be swimming, 215s. Sometimes that feels effortless and other times it feels incredibly hard, like you're dragging a parachute behind your, um, but the end result's still the same. So with experience, you learn that you, you are getting all this data coming back to you and you're getting a lot of feedback and, and you're going through your mind, you know, going through that checklist and checking off those KPIs one at a time. But I also learned that none of that information is definitive and, and neither is your intuition and how you feel. So I just had this mindset of to, to never give up, whether the, the feedback and the information coming back is good or bad or it feels like it should. You, know, you just can't give up on yourself. You, you still, every second, you're trying to maximise every second and, and further your position the whole time. So whilst it's great to be in a race and see that you're riding along at your, your threshold power and it feels effortless, that, that, that's what we all dream of. Or, or, you know, you hear endurance athletes often talk about being in the zone. It's, it's great to be in the zone where it's almost an out-of-body experience. You're going faster than you want to go or the speed that you dreamt of going and it just feels effortless. Um, you know, we've all, we've all experienced that as endurance athletes, but we've also experienced probably more times than not the, the other extreme, which is where it just feels hard. It's, it's hard work. And maybe you are going at the speed you're meant to be going at, but it just feels harder than you want it to feel or harder than it should feel or harder than you remember it. And, and that's the position you now are in. So you, I just, my overwhelming mindset was my, my, I guess my default setting was always just, just continue to push, just, just lean into it and push and don't at no second give up. Um, because at the end, a race is just a collection of moments, a collection of time, a collection of seconds. And you want, you want to win every second, every little battle that you have with yourself. And at, at the end of the race, whether it's a sprint distance, Olympic distance, a half or even an Ironman, it's, it's a collection of moments that hopefully you've got the best out of yourself and the overall result is, is a good one. So that was always my mindset, not to go asleep in the middle of races, not to... And I think with, with experience, you learn to go into autopilot almost where you... It's like driving a car when you first learn to drive. And I, I, I use this analogy a lot because I think it's a good one that, you know, every little thing's front of mind, um, indicator, braking, looking around. It's, it's so right there. And then after a while it becomes when you get more proficient, like in any skill, it just becomes more subconscious and you do all the things you need to do almost without thinking about it. And as you would know, that that's what happens in the race. Um, so 
there's moments that you go through where half an hour may go past and it feels like the blink of an eye and other times when, you know, two minutes goes past and it feels like half an hour. Yeah. So you experience, you experience all those things, all those feelings and a whole range of emotions that go with it. And I just think one thing I always wanted to be was just resilient and in the moment, every second and every moment. So that those collection at, at the end, the, the sum of the whole thing would, would, would work out. Yeah, no, that's a really good point because when you look at like hearing you talk about the every second matters. And I remember early on in my career doing an Ironman and stopping at an aid station literally for like five or six <clears throat> strides, you know, like you just stop, just get a sip of water and then keep going. And then over the course of an Ironman, I remember one year I did that maybe four or five times. And I, and I lost or I got third or something like that in this one race. And I looked back at my watch and I looked at the splits and you add up those three or four seconds each time over five or seven times, it adds up. And it's literally so important to stay focused every second. And it takes a lot of energy, or I guess, as far as discipline to go through the process of like, okay, if I'm doing this race, I have to think about this. I have to think about how much nutrition I'm going to do. I have to think about when I hit this aid station to not slow down, to keep going and grab it. And it takes a lot of energy to prepare yourself. But like you said, after, after a while, your mindset and that flow just becomes nature, just becomes who you are, becomes that, that, metronome i guess of just like just ticking it off and just moving and just getting through it and and always pushing the envelope every every ounce and every step of the way and that was always a strive for me was to always try to find that and in that also i would always try to find the areas where i could see how hard i could push myself and sometimes i would end up pushing mm. myself too hard but even in those those opportunities or those experiences i never looked back and regretted those experiences of pushing yeah. that hard you know it's like you want to see how much you can get out of each other or out of yourself and i think with you and i it was a lot of times it was getting the most out of each each of us like you pushed me mm. harder digging like in boise pushing mm. myself as hard as i could to the finish <clears throat> line literally with you running running me down the last mile i think you ran a five minute mile the last mile Man, that's, that's still one of my favorite race photos. I don't know if you've seen the photo when we cross the finish line and we're just sitting on top of each other, almost yeah, just entangled. Blended. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was a cool race. And yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing though. I mean, as much as the sport is about internalizing and getting the most out of yourself, it is, it is a race as well. And I certainly wouldn't have gone to those depths and, and realized that level of performance in Boise had you not been there. There's no question right. you dragged a level of performance out of me that day and on a number of days when we raced that. Um, and I think that's the be beautiful thing about sport. And, and that's what I was alluding to at the start. You, you are a reflection of your competitors and your competition because they, they can bring you to levels that you didn't think possible. Um, and it's the psychology of racing as well. I think we're all competitive and, and whilst the process is about managing yourself, there is that dynamic that takes place in the race where we're all intertwined on the race course at the same time. And, you know, that can lead to magic sometimes. I mean, you would know throughout your career, like you say, you look back and you think some of those performances that there's no question your competitors dragged that out of you, got, got you to that level. Um, and maybe a level that you didn't think 
you had going into that event. Maybe your fitness is at a, at a certain point and you, you exceed those expectations because of, because of the people you're racing. And, and that, that is the beautiful thing about, I think, our sport is that um, as much as, yeah, it, it's an individual sport, yeah, that dynamic between competitors and, and within the race, it, it certainly can lead to magic on the race course. Yeah, and I think there's something to the process of eliminating the limitations that you may put on yourself, right? Like, or the expectations you may put on yourself. So you go out and you do a race or you go out and you would try to achieve anything. If you put a limitation or a boundary of what you think you're capable of, you never allow the experience to unfold mm. in a different way where you go beyond where you think you can go. And a lot of that gets driven by or drawn out of you, like you said, by a competitor that puts you in a situation that you have to, if you're really going for the win, if you're really going to see how much you can get out of yourself, you forget your mind telling you that you can't do it, or you forget your mind telling you you can't run that fast or ride that fast and you just do it. And you realize through those experiences, the more experiences like that you put yourself in to challenge and push yourself to those limits, you start realizing that that is there for you a lot more than you realize the opportunity to go beyond what yeah. you think you're capable of is always there. It becomes, are you going to allow your mind to stop you and limit you from doing that? Or are you going to let that go and just be like, forget that. It's about pushing myself because I want that victory or I want to catch that person or I want to achieve whatever I'm after within that moment. No, man, absolutely. Now we're getting to the fun stuff. This is where, for me, where the magic happens because, you know, I guess by definition, sport is a physical pursuit, but the, the interaction between mind and body is what will take you to the next level for sure. Um, yeah. th there's no question about that. And I've always been a big believer and I read it early on in my career that you've got to set goals that are very, very challenging um, and almost seem unrealistic uh, because I think it just takes you out of your, your, your comfort zone. And it doesn't put, like you mentioned that, that, that ceiling, on things you're always reaching for more you're never content you're always reaching for more and coming up with ways physically mentally with your preparation your equipment you're always reaching for more and i think that's the performance mindset that you hear people talk about um you know it's interesting when you come up as a young athlete and you start racing people you've read about or watched on television or idolized and at some point you as much as you want to emulate them. And I think that's a healthy thing. You know, um, I know I was certainly influenced by a lot of athletes when I was young and, and coming up through the ranks at some point you, I think you want to aspire to be the best version of yourself. That that's who your idol needs to be because otherwise you're, you're limiting yourself to other people's um, limitations. Like you mentioned, you, there can be no, there can be no ceiling. You know, I, one of my favorite, a good friend of mine used to say it to me all the time when we were talking about goal setting, he'd say, you know, aim for the stars and you might land on the clouds. Yeah. You know, you, you just got to, you got to aim high. You got to set very, very challenging goals that almost seem in the beginning unrealistic, but they make you almost uncomfortable and that you can never rest. You're always reaching for more across all the performance elements and I mean, I think it's, it's the most important thing. You, you can't limit yourself. And, and I used to have this mindset too. You know, early in my career, I'd get into races with athletes. I just, I knew they were better than I was. They were older. They were more experienced. They just had, you know, I think what's important in our sport is, you know, to, to ascend to that world-class level, it just takes hours of training, 
hours of aerobic conditioning over over years, not months or weeks. Yeah. And you're not even in the conversation to um, of of winning or competing at those sorts of races and, until you've logged that time. You just it's the aerobic conditioning, the, the strength, um, the experience, all those things. You, you need to get yourself in that ballpark of that conversation. And that takes time. And, and I guess your training age is more relevant than, you, than your actual age because uh, it, it just comes down to your background in the sport and, and those things. But I remember early in my career being in races and thinking, oh, there's, there's no way I can, I can beat that guy. He's got world titles. He's been around a long time. He's just better than I am. And, and that, and that that was realistic and, and truth at the time. But I had to change that mindset at some point when I improved to, well, now I am in the conversation physically. I am, I think I am on par with a lot of these guys, my physiology, my ability to go fast for a long period of time. So that, that's when your mindset has to shift and say, well, um, you know, not why me, why not me? Right. Why I know I never went into races thinking oh, I'm going to I'm going to win this race, but I, I I went into a lot of races thinking well, why not? Why is that? Does that seem like a ridiculous scenario that I could win this race? No, it doesn't. I I think that's possible. If I I've, I've trained hard, I've done all the things. I know my level. If I can keep my wits about me and make smart decisions, um, why not? Why not yeah. me? Someone's going to win this race. Why not me? So yeah. I I, th- I think at some point you. you you know, you develop as an athlete physically and mentally and, and hopefully those two things can keep up with each other. And at some point, the mind will rule the body. When you get to that world-class level with your physiology and your physicality, your strength and conditioning, your mindset has to be world-class as well. It has to, it has to match your, your physical presence and your physical ability. Otherwise, like you say, you will never reach or fulfill that, that potential that you have. There's a few things. One is you, you have to look at the long haul, right? Like a goal or an objective or something you want to accomplish usually doesn't take days or weeks or even months. Right. It, it, it takes years. We always yeah. look at wanting something great in the immediate, but we're always, we always underestimate what we can do in the long haul and we overestimate what we can do in the short term. And we, as a society, we need to shift that a little bit. And I think Ironman has, has taught me that I'm sure it's taught you that as you just explained, like it's a long haul. It's, it's the perspective of like, all right, I'm in this for a couple of years. I'm in this for the long haul of going, that's where I want to be. And I'm going to do whatever I can year after year, knowing at some point I'm going to get there. Um, and then also you have to ignore what other people and the noise that's going on around you the the ones that are saying that you can't do it the ones that are doubting you that are saying why are you wasting your time doing this process you know you have this goal for four years down the road you have to ignore those and eliminate that noise and even you mentioned in a in a race where you'll get splits of like how far ahead somebody is or how far behind somebody is and i learned even in the race so even long term and in society you have to ignore those voices that are putting you down but also for me, I had to start, I had to start telling those referees to not give me splits anymore. Like, I don't want to hear a split because all that's going to do is put something in my mind that is going to take me off track of staying focused of the ultimate goal that I'm going towards. Right. So you have to set a big enough goal that's way out of reach. And that's what I did before I even got involved in the sport was I wanted to be world champion before I even did my first race. Everyone thought I was great. Right. But if you consistently, every time you show up to an event, for me, every time I showed up was, I want to, I'm going 
am going to give everything I have to try to win it. I never went into a race saying I want to get 10th. Mm, um, yeah. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said my goal in this race is to get 10th or 15th? Or was it always striving to be at that <clears throat> top needle or at the end of the? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I never, I guess, put definitions on it. Like, oh, this race will be a failure unless I get on the podium. Although at some point when you show that you're capable of doing that, I mean, we're all aware of the expectations and we're all aware of our own expectations more than anything. Um, we know our level. And, but, I mean, to your point, yeah, I mean, you, you, I think the most important thing I've learnt and I guess it's important in life as well as sport is to be self-aware, to understand yourself. I mean, we're all different. We're all different as athletes. We're all different physically. Our physiologies are different. We're all different emotionally and mentally. Um, and I think it's important to understand what it is that makes you tick, um, what it is that drives you, what's your motivation. And once you can tap in and understand that, I think it becomes easier, the process after that. I mean, we all have our, our goals and, um, you know, and once you understand what it is that's driving you and, and then what it is that you want to achieve, you, you, can, you can easily draw up a roadmap. I think those details fall into place very easily, that, that plan and the structure of the plan. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, when your goal is something that, I mean, you alluded to it, you talk about the 10,000 hour rule or whatever it is to become world-class, whether it's playing a musical instrument, a surfer, any sort of motor skill. I mean, there's, I think we would all appreciate and understand there's a certain amount of work that goes in. Maybe some get there before others, who knows? But I think what we can all agree upon is that it takes a lot of time. And if you look at the master's, in any domain, whether it be surfing and someone like a Kelly Slater or maybe a Roger Federer in tennis. You know, people always talk about their natural gifts. And I think at the highest level, you do need some, um, you need some genetic, uh, you need to win the genetic lottery, I guess. You need some natural talents. But I think when, if you read enough stories about um, those athletes that transcend, the common thread is always, the work ethic work, and the, yeah. consistency, the consistency of work over time and the mental discipline and toughness to stick to the path, to stay the course. And that doesn't mean you don't tweak the course because sometimes that's what you need to do. Sometimes you need to make some changes, but it's just a mental commitment to be resilient and, and to overcome the challenges because things are going to get hard. It's, it's not a matter of... Um, when they get hard or, or if they get hard, it's a matter of when and how often they, they're going to get hard and you have to overcome obstacles and, and the people who commit to the process and, and, and to commit to just leaning into their work all the time and, and showing up on a consistent basis. I mean, they're, they're the important principles for success. So, but you need to know yourself as well. And like you say, when you set yourself a goal of being a world champion in an endurance sport, you know, it's not going to happen tomorrow. So, um, it might be helpful to have some short-term goals along the way. Right. Uh, you know, so I, I think, <clears throat> again, I like to have some short-term goals and I like to race and I like to check off boxes along the way because, yeah, I, I just think it was who I, who I was. I mean, it might not be the right way for everyone. I probably raced a lot more than others who were, who were racing um, Kona. I like to ra I come from a short course background. I like to race a lot. Um, and the way my life was structured at the time, I was going from the Southern Hemisphere to the Northern Hemisphere. So we were in summer 12 months of the year. 
so it made training easy and, and racing easier, I guess, rather than having a winter and a summer. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it's important to look at what experts are doing and what's common amongst the people who are really good and proficient at, at whatever it is that you want to do, but also adapt it for yourself, knowing your, your own strengths and weaknesses and the kind of person you are. And you know, some people can go away and, and train up and come out and give a great performance with no lead up races. And after being sort of in that Rocky Balboa mentality away training for six months, um, and that gets the most out of them. Others, not so much. Maybe they need to race a little more. And I think it's important to understand what it is that really blows your hair back as a person and as an athlete and, and, and try to tap into that. But yeah, to your point, when, you, when your goal is something so big that it's going to take you years to, to reach it or realise it, and, and you might never realise it, but it's going to be a fun journey and it's going to be an interesting journey. You know, sometimes it's worthwhile having short-term goals along the way just to make sure you're on track and just to keep scratching that competitive itch. And, um, you know, it's a little bit of feedback as well. Yeah, I never became world champion. That was my ultimate goal. <laughs> you foiled that a couple times. But, but look at where <laughs> I – I mean, I look back and I go, it's, it's been an amazing journey. I won a lot of races, a lot of places. I was around the whole world. I went to just amazing spots and, and got – won races and I have two runner up world championships, right? Like if I didn't shoot to try to be world champion, I would never have gotten second. I would have been sixth or eighth or whatever. So it, you have to have that, that drive. You have to have that, that big goal to shoot for. And like I said, you may not always get to it. I don't look at it as failures. I look at wow. it as learning experiences or stepping stones or drivers to get me to the next spot to learn from those pieces. And you yeah. talk you talked a little bit about um, challenges that we may go through in those journeys of that, the training or whatever. What, what were some of the, if there was one biggest challenge that you had or storm in your career or as far as difficulty that you had to get through, would you mind sharing one of those experiences with us and how you managed going through that or adjusting? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll say, your first point I don't, I don't think there's ever a, a failure if you try your best yeah. I mean I know that sounds very simple but often simple is good we, we can overcomplicate things and I, it's easy for me to sit back and say oh it's not about the end result I mean yeah you know, someone might look at that and say this guy he's got five all titles of course he's going to say that but at one point in your, your life you're an athlete and then you're an ex-athlete and you're in the next stage of your life and what, what is helping me in this stage of my life is, I, I guess, the fact that I won it, it presents opportunities. I'm not, I'm not ignorant to that fact, for sure. Um, but what are the lessons that were learned that helped me in this stage of my life? As going to businesses, um, being an ambassador for charities, being a parent and a husband, I think they're the most important things. And I think when you're an athlete, you hear people talk about that and you're like, what is this guy talking about? It's all about winning. Um, and I guess... When you're in high-performance sport, it's, you hear people say it all the time, it's, it's results-driven, and that's what you get judged on. But I'd like to think we all judge ourselves on more than just that. Um, because as you know, sometimes you win a race, but you haven't performed at your best. Mm -hmm. And other times you perform right. at your absolute best and you don't win a race. So what's the success there? What's the failure? I mean, I don't know. It's, yeah. It can get confusing and convoluted. And I think as you get older, you get more philosophical and understand that 
it is a journey and, and there's great outcomes and not so great outcomes and sometimes really disappointing outcomes. Are there lessons there? I think some, somewhere in all of those things there are. And, you know, you're just, you're just living. Each day you move into a different stage of your life. And now with my kids playing sport and you must see it, I mean, Caden's just a gun little surfer. And, and you think, well, what are the things that I learned that can help with his performance or, but then again, I'm also dad as well. So what, what are the lessons that I really want him to take out of this? What, what's the real important stuff here? You want to just teach him yeah. the, the process and the journey is where the gold is. That's where the memories are. That's where the growth is. That's where the relationships are. Yeah. If looking back at memories of my races, the, the most dynamic events that I've ever had that I remember the most are the ones that I didn't win. Um, there are ones that I won that I, that are in the forefront, but majority of the ones are the ones that I didn't quite get because I know I gave everything and every ounce that I had. Um, and trying to teach your kids that process of like the expectation in this society and in our world of like performance and to be at the top and to, to nail a turn or to do whatever sport the kids are in to try to teach them. Yes, there is a process if you want to be at the very top of the game and there's that journey and there's that mindset, but at the same time, you want to teach them the more valuable piece of like, it's the process and it's the learning and it's the, the victories through failure and allowing mm. them to fail, mm. fall short. And that's where the big growth happens. And it's, it's, as you know, our kids are about the same age it's that it's challenging to try to teach them both aspects and walk those lines. Well, absolutely. And, um, and I think that's where more learning comes, isn't it? As a parent, because then, I mean, I know I often think now, geez, there's stuff I now know that I wish I had known when I was racing. And, but, the, but that, but that's life. That, that is the journey. You, so long as I guess you can you, you keep accumulating that knowledge, but yeah, you often think, geez, I wish I'd have known that five or 10 years ago. And, but, but to answer your question about the challenges, I, I guess the one constant challenge that I, I had was, was just a confidence or a self-confidence that, um, and I don't know if that was, something that was wired into me. I, did, I, I lacked confidence. I, I often felt the hardest battle I had to overcome was the one with myself, the self doubts. Um, mm. You know, I started in the sport. I mean, a lot of people know my story. I started late. I started as a 20 or 21 year old, like you started late in the sport. And, you know, a lot of the guys who are around my age uh, who were, or who were a little older or even a little younger had had backgrounds in endurance sports, had come from or had been in triathlon for three or four years already, maybe more, um, and had, had come into triathlon from either swimming or running or usually both. Uh, in Australia, a lot of the great triathletes, when I came into the sport, had, had been representative swimmers and runners, national or state-level swimmers and runners, and then gone into triathlon at 17 or 18 years of age. And so I started as a 20-year-old, 21-year-old, and at that point in our sport, the way the sport was structured, um, juniors were 20 and under. So I'd, I'd never been a junior. And a lot of the guys I'd racing had come through the junior ranks, had had really good coaching, and I just felt had more pedigree than I did and um, a better background. So I, I always carried that around in my head that I was at a disadvantage. And you know yourself, you, you can you can think things or will things into existence if you think about them and agonize, agonize on them enough. And 
I almost willed that into existence where I just thought these are, oh, these guys are all better than me. They, you know, when I used to conjure up the idea of an elite athlete, I used to think of for argument's sake, an Olympic swimmer, someone like Michael Phelps or an Ian Thorpe, their parents driving them to the pool at five in the morning when they're 10 or 11 years old, you know, having that, that background, that history in the sport coming through. Um, and, and I looked at other triathletes and thought, yeah, they, they have that. They have that pedigree, that history in the sport that I don't have. I don't belong with them. I don't belong in the same race as them. Um, so that, that was a challenge that I had to overcome. And, you know, when, when you start training and racing, you get some results and, and hopefully those results then start combating those doubts that you have um, because you need to be able to base your confidence on something. Some people are naturally self-confident. Um, I think if you come up through something and have a long history in it, whether it be sport or playing an instrument or, or anything, if you, you know, you have enough success as a teenager growing up and you're continually making representative teams or you've got coaches telling you, you know, you're very good at this. You're, you're very good. You build that, that platform or that foundation of confidence almost from external um, reinforcement or, or positive reinforcement that comes externally. Yeah. And also some that comes internally. You, you see that you're good at something. You're, you're starting to master a skill or, um, but I think when you drop yourself into a sport at, at, a, at an older age and I know I started in 1994 and by 1995 I got invited to race a world cup race an ITU world, world cup race in Sydney and I was still a full-time university student um, and I had a part-time job selling running shoes at a, at a running shoe store and I went and did this race and I came eighth against the best there was 110 guys on the start line and I was like wow I came I got a top 10 I, I came eighth I was only literally three or four seconds from fourth place. A whole bunch of us hit the finish shoot at the same time. And, you know, you would think that that would give you confidence and it did because you think, wow, I was, I was closer to the front than I thought I was going to be. Um, but then again, I guess the, the self doubts creep in and you think, Oh, was that just a one off? Was that, was that a little bit of luck? Did I, did I just have a good day or yeah, self doubt was one thing that I, I and look, even later in my career, I remember having one Kona um, multiple times, getting on the start line one year and ringing a good friend of mine, a guy who was um, like an advisor, a mentor. Um, he'd helped me my whole career. And yeah, it was about two or three days before the race. We we're on the big island. and um, I'd seen him actually. I'd seen him that day. And I think he, he must have seen something in me. So he called me that night. He said, you know, are you going okay? And I said, oh, I'm very nervous. And, um, and I started talking about the race with him. Oh, what am I, you know, what's my strategy going to be? What's my plan going to be? And, and he listened to me talk and, and he knew me very well. And, and I think that that's the essence of what makes a great coach or a great mentor. They, they know you as an athlete and a person, probably more so as a person than even an athlete. And they know what it is that you need in any given situation. And he said to me, what you're going to do on Saturday is you're going to get on the start line and you're going to, you're going to puff your chest out with the confidence of an athlete who's won here multiple times. And you're going to race with that mindset. You're going to race with the winning mindset, the mindset of an athlete who's had success here. And it's interesting that he would need to tell me that after I'd already won there. 
Um, so I think, you know, those self-doubts are something that I always, um, and I think it, I've thought about it many times. What, why did I have that? Was it just the kind of person I was? And again, it speaks to being self-aware and understanding yourself. And, and there were different times throughout my career, mainly at the suggestion of my wife. She said, go and speak to a sports psychologist. And um, I think she could sense that physically I had the tools, but maybe mentally I was lacking. So how did you, like, I appreciate you sharing that journey because it gives you, you know, as far as a great perspective of, of that process and how to, how to walk through that, even in the midst of you being a world champion already. But how, how did you address that throughout your career? How'd you address that through each race? Because you won so many races, right? Like, and when it came down, was there a point in the race or was a point when that gun goes off that, that you forget those doubts or you forget that stuff and you only look at what's ahead or is it a constant battle in your mind? No, it's a constant, it's, it's a constant battle. It's a constant battle that you have to stay on top of. And, and who knows, maybe like we, we are who we are for better or worse. And, and maybe that's what led me to the success I had because I had to be constantly vigilant with the mental side of things always. Um, did you put a hard, a hard work ethic in? I mean, did you, did you work harder because of that doubt? When you had those doubts, you'd be like, I'm just going to put more work in. I'm just going to train more. That's exactly what I did. That was my default. That was my go-to. I mean, we all have to get confidence from somewhere and I got it from working hard. Like I used to think, you know, I, I read something once that said on any given start line at, at a sort of a world-class event that pretty much everyone's got natural talent. They've been gifted the genetics to do the job. So what is it that differentiates the athletes? And I interpreted that as meaning what's well, got to be the, the mind there. It's got to be the mental side of it. Um, not only on race day, but leading up to race day, managing yourself physically. I mean, your mind rules your body. So to get in, to have, the, to have the natural physical ability is not enough. You have to train to maximize the physiological potential as well. So um, I guess it's a few ingredients. You need the talent. You need the training, the, 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 the prescribed training needs to be right so you can um, realise that physical potential and then the mental side of things as well. And for me, the mental side of it was, you know, I, I, need, to, I need to get my confidence from somewhere and that will come from working hard. Um, yeah, so a lot of my sessions, particularly preparing for, for Kona, I mean, they were well known up in Boulder. All the guys I trained with knew about some of the sessions I did and, you know, I even had Dave Scott at some point saying some of these sessions are just ridiculous. They're over the top and they're actually hurting you physiologically. You won't recover. And he was probably right from the purely physical or physiological standpoint. There's no doubt some of these sessions hurt me a lot. Um, doing them at altitude and doing them in the heat um, of Boulder in the summer. But again, it comes down to being self-aware and knowing yourself. I, what I was striving for in those sessions was not a physical boost. It was a mental boost. And, and it worked because there were times, many times in those races in Hawaii and, and a lot of races where I would be coming into a really rough patch in the race. And I would think of those sessions. Um, I would specifically think of actual sessions and moments in sessions. So not just the session, but within that session when it got tough. 
and think, you know, I've, I've faced this before and, and worse. So I can get through this today. Mm-hmm. So those sessions for me did serve their purpose, even if they weren't textbook and they weren't, um, I mean, they weren't drawn up to be physical um, sessions. That they, they were just that mental hardening that you need. And, and for me, not only the mental hardening, but the confidence. They were, it, was, it was depositing money in my confidence bank that I could draw on later. Um, yeah, because that, that, that is where I would, I mean, I would get on the start line in Kona. And I, like I said, I, I never used to get there thinking, I'm going to win this race. But I would think, you know, I've trained very hard. I think I'm in a good headspace. Emotionally, I, I feel strong. Why not me? Um, so that, that shift from why me to why not me, that, that was all tied into the confidence thing as well. Because in the beginning, I couldn't see why me. Yeah. Uh, or why not me? It was always, I don't think I can win this. Um, and and p- part of that was, I think other guys were just better. I was on my, I was early in my career and on, I guess, on the, the uptrend. But at some point, you reach a point physiologically where you can compete, as you know, and then it's other factors that need to come into play. So, but it was a constant battle, the, the mental side of it. For me, I, I always had doubts and I look back and think, because it's not as if I, when I think about my career, or I often you know, speak in corporate settings or, or at schools and things, you know, speaking to kids or junior athletes. I often, when I'm planning these talks or giving these talks, I'm talking about more so the, the hard defeats than the wins because, like you say, that's what you, that's what you learn most from. And it's, it's not the wins that um, you sit around dwelling on. For me, it was the... the I'm going to say defeats, but it's not the fact, not, not only the defeats, the, the times that you performed well below where you should have. Um, that, that's what I think about. And that's what keeps me awake now. Um, you know, I don't dwell on the victories. I dwell on those times when I underperformed for whatever reason and still to this day try and figure out why. Um, so what do, you, what do you think drives you to compete? Like listening to you, like driving to win or was it a drive to try to silence those doubts? Like, like a proving ground. Like, do you think it was something that you had to prove maybe to others or prove to yourself that you are at that level more than it is the victory? I think it's all of those things. Um, I think I was a very competitive person. I, I, I felt I, I was always trying to prove that to myself that I belonged and try to validate my, existence as a professional athlete or as a, a world-class endurance athlete, I always felt I had to um, justify that decision and validate it to myself. Um, as you say, there's always external noise and we're all human. We're not immune to getting our feelings hurt when we get criticised, um, either justly or unjustly. Um, but that was never a motivation for me to silence the external noise. It was always, yeah, it was, it was more about doing what I thought I could do and, and proving to myself that I could do it because I had these goals that we talked about earlier. I had these, I had these goals and, and part of achieving your goal is just before you win the war, there's a lot of little battles along the way. Some of them are physical, some of them are mental. You have to overcome these hurdles and it's all part of putting a piece of the puzzle together so that at the end, when you hopefully can say that, well, I achieved that goal that I set for myself, or maybe I didn't quite get to where I wanted to go, but 
the journey was amazing and I, I've improved beyond my wildest dreams from where I started. Um, to, to get to that point, there's a lot, a lot of little battles along the way that, um, that you need to wage. And yeah, for me, it was just a constant vigil. The, the one constant was always, yeah, I guess a confidence thing. Um, and I don't know if it, it, it came back to the fact that I just, I always carried this thing with me that I was the underdog. I, I came into the sport late. Oh, that's going to be a big problem. And then, oh, I've started my Ironman career late. I'm, I'm 33, 34. These other guys have five or 10 years experience on me. It was just a constant that was always there. I always felt I was, I was playing catch up. I always felt that my competitors, my, my rivals were, were better than me, had, had something that had something over me, whether it be with experience or, or something. Um, so that was a mindset I always had. I, I felt I was, I was behind the eight ball and, and maybe that's what led me to work so relentlessly on the, on the physical and the mental because I just felt I was always behind where I needed to be. I need to fast track. I need to fast track. I need to catch up. Um, and perhaps that's where the lacking confidence came from. Maybe it was just an, an intrinsic thing that I, I had. I, I don't know. I, I remember as a kid growing up when I played soccer, I, I didn't have it. I, I, I felt when I would walk on the pitch, I was the best player on the field. Um, even if that was <laughs> clearly not the case, and I'd often walk off the field still thinking I'm, I was the best player on the field today, even if that was nowhere near the case. But I, I didn't have that in, in triathlon. But one thing I had as a triathlete that I never had as a soccer player was my, uh, just a mental toughness or a resilience not to give up and to fight for everything. Um, and I think that was... Uh, a result of um, my soccer career or my experience in soccer ending the way it did and just feeling that I'd sort of quit on myself a little bit. So I carried, I, I carried a commitment into triathlon that I'm just going to be mentally tougher than I used to be. Um, but that went hand in hand, I think, with, I guess, fighting that confidence and finding the confidence. It's, it's not only fighting something, it's overcoming it and finding a way to, to just manage it. Um, you know, some athletes manage nerves and you have that your whole career. And I got nervous, not really nervous, but I got nervous. But I, I think part of the nervousness was um, just wanting to believe that I belonged and hoping that I did yeah. belong in this conversation and in this company with these other athletes. And um, you think that's yeah, why I mean, much? you think that's maybe. why you a lot because you wanted to prove yeah. to yourself that, you know, the more that you do and the more that you can win and that just proves that you you belong here. This is your spot. Uh, absolutely. I do. And, and I think there was a, there was a pressure to win a lot of those too. I can't just turn up and, um, and did you have that pressure a, internally or it was that pressure externally from sponsors and family and other stuff or was it an internal pressure? Oh, the external pressure is always there. I mean, part of by definition, having the sponsors and the, and the media expectation that's going to be there, but it was more from me. Yeah. I, I just, I always felt that I just had to live up to my own expectations and my own standards. And, and you said it before was, was that constant vigilance. The reason I won so many races, it, it probably is. Um, In that doubt that you had was, were you, were you self self-critical or self positive of yourself? So like if you did well, would you always look at the positive aspects of it or would you be critical of yourself? I would be critical. I would be critical first for sure. And then, and then look for the positive. Look, I would, 
what I would try and be was honest about it. I, I, I was never, again, it just comes down to being self-aware. And I think about this a lot, you know, because now that you're a parent, you think what's the most important thing when you're on the, you know, the sidelines or, you know, and you just want to, you just want to encourage your kids. Um, but I think as a professional, it's a little different. Um, and, and I was never one to sugarcoat things. And maybe that's why I've had problems as a parent on the sideline, because sometimes you need to sugarcoat at that point. Um, well, someone, but, told me, someone told me one time, uh, I heard this great analogy or this great process is that as a parent, you can't be a mentor, right? Like there's a difference mm. between a mentor and a parent, right? Yeah. And so many parents are trying to be mentors and me and mm. I'm the same, right? Like you want to see your kids succeed and you want to see them grow. You want to see them get the most out of what the, the, they're putting their minds to and their efforts towards and sport or whatever it is. Right. But sometimes our priority is to be a parent, right? So the parent is one that when yeah. they're done with the match or done with the game, great job, big hug. And then that's it. Yeah. But as a yeah. mentor or a coach, you want to sit them down and be like, look, here are the things and this, and as a parent, you can't do that. Cause then that's just going to drive the kids away. I think, you know, I think that splits that a little bit. And it's a hard line to, to go down. And you and I think I've related a lot in that, just trying to, to find where it fits. And I think that it's um, positive to hear that you're thinking about it and I'm thinking about it. Like, it's a good thing. Like, we're not going to get, yeah. like, we're going to screw up. We're going to do things wrong. But the fact that we process and try to think through that, I think, is where I, I believe and I want to believe that our kids will see that and will grow from that and be better people because of it. Yeah, I hope so. I, I, I fail at that a lot. I heard a good, along those lines of that quote you just said the other day, it was, if you have a choice to be kind or be right, always be kind. Yeah. And I, th I think that speaks to what you were saying of, you know, the, the parent mentor thing. If you have a choice to, to love and be supportive or be the mentor, which means critiquing sometimes, I think as a, as a parent, yeah, your, your first role is to love and be supportive. Even if there is a point though, in, in, I think a young person's development when there's, yeah, for, for sure there's a demarcation there. And when they get to maybe 15, 16, 17, I know Lucy talks about, she wants a running scholarship um, to college in the U S. So there's, there's going to be a point where, yeah, things are going to get more serious. You, there's going to be, if, if that is to happen, there's going to be external pressures because they don't give you a scholarship and leave you alone. There's an expectation around preparing, around results. And so you, you can't lead them into that lion's den without having prepared them. Um, but maybe that needs to come a lot later. Um, you know, I think in the, in the early years, it's just got to be about fun and love and support um, for sure. But it is hard because you're standing... It, again, you are who you are for better or worse. And we are a product of our experiences. Um, it's hard to change behaviors too, you know, behaviors, we get wide a certain way based on um, doing different things to try and teach ourselves, but also different experiences. And then, then once you're wide a certain way, it's hard to change that wiring without a lot of discipline and relearning. So um, yeah, it, it's interesting because you said, you said a moment ago that, know about the racing a lot and was it something every race that I felt this pressure um, and I needed a good performance just to scratch that confidence itch and 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 I did 
that that I think you I think you've hit the nail right on the head there. But I don't want to. I guess looking back, you, you got to look at things from both aspects and both perspectives as well, and say, well, maybe that wasn't a burden though. Maybe that was the reason I, I ended up having the career I had. Um, you know, again, you are who you are for better or worse. It comes down to understanding who that is and tapping into it um, and getting the most out of yourself. And, and But, you know, when I would analyse a performance or a race, it, it, was, it was never of a mindset, oh, I need to take the positives out of this, and, uh, but I need to be critical. It was just be honest. If things are good, say they're good. I mean, it's, it's okay to pat yourself on the back and say, well, that, that's... And, and I always think it is, it is rewarding and it does something emotionally to, to, to get the po- And that there, I feel there's always some, even if it's a, what you, from the outside might look like a catastrophic performance, there's always some positives. There's something, yeah. there's something you can take out of it that was good. And, and I think you need to do that. Um, but you also need to be honest about the things that can be improved on, you know, they, they, they call it the, the phone booth conversation. If it's with a coach or a mentor, it's the kind of conversation where maybe they're telling you the things you don't want, you don't want to hear, but that you need to hear. If, if improvement is something you're serious about, sometimes those conversations are tough, um, but they're necessary. Yeah. If you were to go back 10 or 15 years, um, knowing the things you know now, what would you tell yourself what would you teach yourself i would teach myself to to be more confident and that confidence doesn't have to come from winning it can come from preparation and just being yourself just if you're doing something that you love to do just go out there and do it uh, and i think performance will flow from that um I, i'm not going to sit here and say i didn't enjoy my career i loved it it wasn't, it wasn't a burden for me those times when I was nervous or when I was, I was lacking confidence. Um, and there were times when, I mean, I, I remember Kona in 2011 um, feeling not overly confident, but feeling confident. Obviously, I'd come off winning Vegas um, a month before and I'd had a rough start to the year. There'd been a lot of stuff going on on the sidelines that year as well, um, personally, um, with the business side of things a lot of distractions and I think I was able to still get in really good shape and that gave me confidence that I was the kind of athlete who I remember, I remember thinking the week leading up to Kona, whatever happens this Saturday, you know, I'm proud of myself this year. There's been so many distractions and so many things that potentially could have um, derailed this whole season. But with, with Neri and, and, and the family and, and Franco and the people around, we, we, we've managed to keep things on track. And I was, I was just proud of us. You know, I was, so I was, I was probably more calm leading into that Kona than any other one just because of everything that had gone on. Because, again, I think your experiences do, do shape you and not only your performances but your, your processes as well and, and your training. That means training. That means on and off the race course. All, all the things that you experience um, shape you and, and I just felt at ease that, that week obviously it helps having one Vegas um, you know you think that's another world title and I'm in good shape but I just more than that I just felt proud that I was able to um, overcome a lot of different challenges and obstacles that year with injury and illness I had a, a respiratory virus I had broken ribs um, I had some really bad business stuff going off on the sidelines and um, 
a lot of distractions, but yeah, we were able to keep things on track. And, and for me, that gave me a lot of calm and confidence. Yeah. Again, I, I didn't get on the start line by any stretch saying I'm going to win today, but I, I just felt more calm that year than any other. Do you think it was, was there anything of less expectation that year that you had less outside pressure? <clears throat> going into um, or was it just, you probably, had, you probably have more outside pressure. The, the more you win, <laughs> the more you're expected to win. And yeah, um, so yeah, I don't know. It's funny. Again, perception's an interesting thing. Some people probably look at it and think maybe having, having already won Kona twice, you, you're more relaxed going in. Other people may look at, again, it just comes down to everyone's so different. Like I, I felt, cause it's funny, you know, I, I do, I do say I was relaxed going in, but there were some thoughts going through my head that week as well thinking, wow, well, this is probably a good chance to win another title and I'm in such good shape emotionally and physically. I better not stuff this up. Um, so there's that, I guess there's that pressure as well. When, when, when things are going well, the expectation from yourself is very high. So you have to manage that. that, that. But again, it's, just, it's never the same. It's never yeah. the same. I, I always felt that the more you win, the kind of more you're expected to win externally and also internally as well. I mean, because you, you're adding tools to your tool belt the whole time. Each year you, you race any big race or any major championship, there's some experiences and learnings that you take forward that, that make you better prepared the next time. Yeah. Um, so I sort of felt that the, the, the deeper I got into my career and those championship winning years, yeah, you, you kind of feel like, well, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm better prepared than I was the year before. Um, certainly emotionally and, and mentally and from an experience standpoint anyway, maybe that's not always the case physically because of certain injury and illness, but yeah, I think that's kind of where the, the pressure can come as well though, because from, from yourself, because if, if you are paying attention and you haven't got your head in the sand, well then your performances should be improving. So I kind of felt an obligation to make sure they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious your perspective. This is something that I ask the majority of my guests. What, what are three characteristics that make a successful person or a champion? Self-awareness. Mental durability, resilience. Um, you can call it resilience if you want. And I also think humility slash empathy. Hmm. Interesting. So that last one, one of the one of the things that I remember, I would almost say most about our experience is racing. Um, a couple races. One was Boise, and then one was Ironman World Championship 2009. That year, I raced you a bunch of times. Finished behind you a bunch of times, but Boise, you caught me right there at the finish line. Um, gave everything we had. Um, the first thing that you said to me was, I'm sorry. And then at the world championships in 2009, you came up to me when you beat me by two minutes and you said, Hey, Chris, I'm really sorry. Where did that come from? Like that's empathy, right? That's caring and being humble, but tell me a little bit about where that, where that comes from. Yeah. I think it's just when you, you race so much, and, and, you know, let's start from this place. When you're on the start line, the gloves are off. Everybody's there to win and you're, you're in it to win it. And you're doing the things that 
hopefully will bring you success. Um, but outside of that, I think you, you understand, I mean, we form relationships because we become friends. We race each other for a long time. We socialize a little bit together. I mean, Neri, the kids and I would come over and have barbecues with you and Karis. Um, you, you form friendships. Um, you know, as you said, our kids uh, are roughly the same age. So we take them to the, the Kiki Dip and Dash together. Um, you, you, you form relationships with people and then and that becomes your history. So, and I knew how much it meant to you. I, I could see the sacrifices you'd made. In, in 09, I knew the sacrifices you, you'd made being away from your family. And as a dad and a husband, you, you get that. You understand that. So, of course, I was doing everything within my power to win all of those races. But immediately afterwards, you just think, you know, you've just crushed someone else's dream as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it, it's not, a, it's not hard to put yourself in someone else's. I mean, we, we all know the sacrifices that we make and the sacrifices that our partners make, our sponsors, our, our immediate circle. It's, it is really a team effort. And if, if your team is a good team and yours was a good team, so was mine. They, they don't, expect you to win or even want you to win they love you regardless yeah but i know you were like me i mean most athletes want to want to win for the people around them as much as for themselves as well you, you want to repay the team for all they've done all they've sacrificed and, and i know in 09 in particular you would sacrificed a lot yeah I, I think i think all of us can can appreciate what it takes to get on the start line personally and individually but the collective as well and um, I think most of the athletes have an empathy for their, for their competitors as much as there's fierce rivalries. And like I say, you know, when, when you're on the race course, the gloves are off, but we all know what we've sacrificed and what it takes to get there. And yeah, I think there's a, a unique bond between us. And um, as much as I was turning myself inside out to catch you in Boise that day, <laughs> you know, the, the minute you cross the finish line, you're thinking, wow, I've just, I've just beaten Chris twice in seven days. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that battle, right? That battle of, of uh, you're battling with somebody, right? And mm. like you said, the gloves are off. You're going for the victory, both of us, no matter what. But there is that closeness and that bond that, yeah, we hung out a little bit outside of racing, but mm. our, bond, our bond is majority from racing and yeah. being yeah. neck and neck and pushing ourselves yeah. and having those experiences. And so for you to say you're sorry within that meant a lot to me because it just showed me that you were rooting for me as well. As, mm. as I, if I was to get second, there was no one else during that time that I would want as far as to beat me except for you. Right. So it's kind of like that mutual respect because there was respect within that fight, respect within that pushing us mm. to, to the limits. So, I wanted to thank you for that. Um, one other thing before we close, I just wanted to ask, what are you most grateful for right now in your life? Family, just family. Um, my wife, uh, just, you know, just the people who are around through thick and thin who, um, you know, I've had a great life too, to be honest. It's been amazing. Um, but I think that's actually something Neri says every night at dinner. She says to the family, you know, we've all got to say one thing we're, we're, we're grateful for today. So 
um, yeah, I'm just grateful for my family and, and the friends I've made. The journey I've had, it's been, it's been awesome, you know. The sport to me is so much more than a profession. It's been, it's been like a great friend, um, uh, an old teacher, um, all those things. It's just, it's, I've made friendships in the sport that I think will stand the test of time. Um, you know, you and I were talking before we started recording about how we just read that Kona this uh, Kona for February next year has now been put off, and you know, you and I as ex-athletes who have raced there, we're gutted, absolutely gutted for the triathlon community, the athletes who who wanted to race there, the township of Kona, what it means for their economy. But for, there's a selfish part of me that's gutted because I just love going there every year, catching up. Mm-hmm with you and with Norman and with, you know, with Luke and with all, with the community, the people that you only see, it's like an old school reunion. Um, and we can go for a ride. We can go out and surf. We can go have a, have a beer, have a coffee. And, um, you know, so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the th- the, the friendships that the sport has given me. But yeah, I think the thing I'm most grateful for in my life right now is just family, just, just family. You know, you, it's funny when you're, when you're a young person growing up, teenager 20s even 30s you just you're not thinking timelines you're just thinking i'm here forever i'm i'm thinking the next race the next training block um and then perspectives change when you become a parent um, and then you move through your career and you come out the other side and you know we're, we're closer to 50 we're, we're it's, it's kind of like it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like half time in, in the footy game now we're at half time in the game of life you know and you think wow that's how can that be? It feels like it's gone so quick. And yeah. I think you, you get more philosophical about things. And but I'm just grateful for the life I've got. It's, it's been amazing. I've learned so many things through the sport of triathlon. I've come into contact with so many incredible people um, who have taught me so much that little lessons that I use in parenting, that I use in business, um, that I use in coaching. Um, so I'm grateful for all of those connections that I've made. I'm just grateful that I get to, to wake up every day and flick on Instagram and see your son carving it up and think, gee, I've got to lift my surfing game. My, my, my pop-up is not, is not what it was 25 years ago with this, this old man's back. But just gra- grateful for a lot of things, you know. Um, grateful that you and I can have a chat and talk about the old days, how good we used to be, what we've learned, what our kids are up to. But... I think the thing I'm grateful for mostly is just family. Uh, yeah, that's really good. No, thank you. Well, I know you, this has been a, uh, a good chat and I really appreciate it. And I just wanted to acknowledge you for just the work that you've done, just the example that you've been. Um, I'm thankful for you for the challenge that you put me through, through racing through those years, you know, 09, 010. 11 there's a few here and there and and just really bringing the most out of me and helping me grow to who I am as far as today so without you in my life without you in the sport uh, a lot of us would not be who we are without you as we all you know bring value so wanted to acknowledge you for that and thank you for that and also just to say that you are um that there's no reason to doubt your position for sure sport. <laughs> Um, not only as an athlete, but as a mentor, as a uh, example to those that 
are in the sport and outside of the sport to look at what you've done and how you battled those doubts in your mind to still be the best that in the world multiple times. So hats off to you for your performance, but more so hats off to you, to your family and, and as far as the message that you're sending right now. So I appreciate the time sharing it with us. Thanks for inviting me on, man. It's been a great chat. Well, thank you, Craig, for sharing everything with us today. Thank you for uh, walking us through that journey, walking us through some of the challenges that you've had and sharing a little bit more in depth into your life so we can all learn from that. So thank you again for being a part of the show. Hope everyone enjoyed it and I hope you got a lot out of it. And if you wanted to hear a little bit more about some of the stories of 2009 World Championships when Crowley caught me with just a few miles to go and we ran neck and neck for a while and he ended up beating me in 2009. If you want to hear a little bit more about that story, check out my last episode that I did on myself basically with um, Triathlon Taren who did the podcast. Go check that one out to get a little bit more in depth, a little bit more story about my journey as well. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks to our sponsors. Make sure you check out the show notes for all the discounts and product support. So thank you guys very much and look forward to this next episode coming up. Aloha.